Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Maya, and this week, Colin, Kanisha, Madeline, and I spoke with Stuart Fletcher, social media coordinator for Living Room Conversations. Living Room Conversations works to heal society by connecting people across divides, politics, age, gender, race, nationality, and more, through guided conversations proven to build understanding and transform communities. Stewart is a political science major at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, who has always been passionate about bringing people together. As the middle of 10 kids, he has had lots of experience being a mediator. Living Room Conversations is part of a larger bridging movement working to bring people who think they disagree with one another together to see where they do agree through guided conversations, resources, and events. Stewart believes people are more similar than we tend to think, that is, under the right circumstances that enable people to tap into their humanity and commonality. He feels Living Room Conversations guides help do just this, creating simple, accessible, scalable scaffolds around dozens and dozens of topics that can help the common person do what they might not otherwise do. We talked about the importance of community agreements, next-gen politics, and Living Room Conversations have a lot in common, Um, how clouded people can be by our own biases, and what a successful conversation looks like and what emerges from them. We hope that you will be inspired to engage in your living room conversations. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Colin Schabenbeck. I'm a senior in New York. I go to Millennium High School, and I'm also a podcast member. Hi, my name is Kanisha. Um, I'm a senior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at Live Oak. And today, um, I'm just excited to talk about what you do, um, what, you know, Living Room Conversation does, because if you've listened to any one of our podcasts, we, our intro is always like, I talks about how NGP is committed to building bridges across various divides. can remember the um, wording now, but um, I think that's very similar to what you do and the work you're involved in as well. Hi, everyone. My name is Madeline Mays, and I'm a high school senior from Brooklyn, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also a lead civic fellow um, at our civic fellowships. And today I'm really interested in discussing living room conversation. And I think what's really interesting to me that I love to discuss or to experience is healthy disagreement and the idea around that. Um, I'm a big fan of community guidelines and um, safe space um, community agreements. And I love that we um, at NGP promote um, feeling discomfort and using that as a motivation to learn more and ask questions. Hello, my name is Maya and I'm a senior in Iowa City, Iowa. And I, like everyone else, am very excited to learn more about living room conversations. And I feel like because we have such similar goals um, in both of our organizations, we can definitely learn a lot from you. And maybe you can learn a little bit from us, too. So I'm very excited. And now, Stuart, your turn to give us as robust of an introduction of yourself and living room conversations as you'd like. All righty. Well, my name is Stuart Fletcher. I am the social media manager for Living Room Conversations. In terms of introduction, I go to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I've been working with Living Room Conversations for about a year. 
and I handle all their kind of outward facing communication, specifically their social media and living room conversations. If you guys don't know, it's part of what's called the bridging movement, where we're just trying to connect people across divides. We're just trying as hard as we can through guided conversation, through events and through all the resources that we put together to bring people who think they don't agree into a space where they can actually discover how much they do agree. And I see that time and time again, that we're told very often that we're very divided. We're told that we're all very different. But when you get down to the meat and potatoes of actual conversation and actual humanity, we're all very, very similar. And that's something that we always find in living room conversations. So just from your intro alone, I have tons of questions because NGP is also really trying to work hard to bridging the divides that um, for some reason we naturally have. And I say naturally because I think that at least right now in this really hyper-partisan polarized climate that we're in, um, there's so much comfort in being divided from other people somehow. And there, I feel like there's, it's just like our natural habitat right now to feel so extreme in one way um, and to not even want to reach out to the other side and come to a consensus or an agreement. Um, so I feel like even with all of these organizations that are trying hard to do that, it's still very difficult for the common person to do. Um, what I find for NGP is that everyone who's a part of NGP wants to be there. Um, they want to be bridging these divides. Um, and as a result, they're going to uh, be more motivated to do so. Um, but the reality is that most people out there don't. Um, so from your experience with living room conversations, what's just like your outlook on that? Or how do you see that being successful or um, difficult to achieve? So one of the main goals of living room conversations is to create these conversational guides that are put together by like dialogue experts, like people who really know thought-provoking questions, experience-oriented questions, as opposed to like factual and debate-oriented discussion points. And they put together these conversational guides, but they do it in a way that's really scalable, that you can do it on your own. That anybody, you can just go into livingroomconversation.org, find a random topic, go through what we have, dozens if not hundreds of topics you could click on a random one and you could download it and have that conversation that day and i think by having these resources so available and so simple to use those people who may not think that they have a huge desire to bridge gaps if it's easier for them to do it they're more likely to do it and so it's just like the more resources the more we talk about the things that are out there the more opportunities people have yeah, um, I just wanted to add to that. I think what you were saying, especially about people feeling they feeling like they can't even communicate with other people with different perspectives, um, like and feel so limiting at times. Like I can definitely resonate with that feeling as well. But I just love that you guys provide this platform for people to be able to do that. Um, and I wanted to ask a bit more about kind of like Madeline has been saying. I feel like I brought this up earlier too. So like a lot of NGP and just what we do is centered around having those conversations, especially. Um, the civic forums that Madeline and other people at NGP lead are like very centered around, you know, interacting with different perspectives. So I was just wondering for the 
like, you know, dialogue to kind of engage in. What are your um, and your organization's like community agreements kind of? So we have our six conversational agreements and you can find this on our website. If you go to livingroomconversations.org, conversational agreements is under resources. And those six things, like you kind of, I hate to say that they're rules because that makes it sound like more intense, but they really are like the building block for a healthy conversation. Number one is be curious and listen to understand, which if you don't start there, there's no point in really going on beyond that. If you're not really going in wanting to learn from somebody else and actually wanting to give them 100% of your attention, you're not going to have a very successful conversation. But the rest of them go on from there. Like we have show respect, note any common ground. One of the ones that I love the most is be authentic and welcome that from others. Because authenticity is priceless. Something that me and my brothers talk about a lot is that that's something that can never be replaced. If you're 100% authentic in what you believe, nobody can take that away from you, even if they disagree. And then the next one is be purposeful and to the point. Sometimes, like I know I'm a rambler, I could talk for the rest of this time without even needing to stop, but <laughs> be purposeful and to the point because it, it's a dialogue, it's not a monologue. And the last one is own and guide the conversation. Like really grab hold of it. If you're going to be here for a real purpose, grab hold of this conversation, be as engaged as possible. Yeah, um, I found what you said in your intro actually very interesting about people being more similar than we realize, kind of regardless of like our political standing or race or gender. And this kind of reminds me of like the horseshoe theory where kind of people on the extreme left and the extreme right end up resembling each other a lot more than they realize. So I'm kind of curious, like in your conversations, is like compromise very common in your line of work? There's always going to be a bit of both. I watched a video recently of this woman talking about what got her into living room conversations. Her name is Margie, and she decided that she just really wanted to understand why people would have guns because she didn't grow up with guns. She didn't understand it. And in, you know, in our climate right now, she was really curious. And that's strange for lots of people because usually you just like either hate them or you're like a hundred percent. Like that's how we always see it online. But that's not really how it is. And so she really wanted to find out why people wanted to have guns. And the phrasing that she used was, I'm not looking to change minds. I just want to change posture. You know, I just kind of want to change the way that I'm facing, as opposed to being completely closed off to someone completely cutting them off. If you can change your posture towards somebody, then you can really find that authentic part of them that you can connect to. I think that's really powerful, just the idea of going into a conversation knowing that you can't necessarily change someone or what they think, but that you can still have a productive conversation or reach a certain goal. And I think community guidelines and community agreements, they're just so effective in being able to achieve that once you're just and once those those guidelines are just subconsciously in the back of your head, like it's not like you have to be thinking all the time, like I need to be curious, I need to be curious, I need to be curious, and then force yourself to be curious. Um, I think it's something that it just comes really easy once you're in the mindset of it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I'm very interested by like all the techniques that you guys use at Living Room Conversations. Um, my question is kind of just about like, 
what would you consider a successful conversation? Um, I'm sure most of them are probably successful, like, um, in terms of like bridging the divides, but I was kind of wondering, you know, what comes out of these conversations? Do people come together and find solutions to problems that they agree with? That's a good question. Um, I think deep down, we all wish we like walked away in this big kumbaya, like happy circle and everything was fine. And all these people all decided to vote with their conscience and they loved each other forever. That doesn't always happen. And not every conversation is, you know, a hot button political issue. We've got conversation guides just about forgiveness and connection and finding, you know, silence in the modern world. And so really the ultimate successful conversation, in my opinion, is if you come away with a greater found empathy for somebody else. Because that, that is the currency that we need the most in the world. It is so easy not to empathize with somebody online. Even you, they're not even faces sometimes, you know, like I don't know if, how much you guys spend time in YouTube comment sections. Terrible idea. Don't do it. I spend a lot of time in there, both for my job and for my personal life. And you can so instantly dehumanize somebody because all you see are words. It's all the same font. It's all the same writing. And the second we start to dehumanize people, we've all lost, you know, like humanity, our humanity and our nature of being more than just our primal instincts is what makes life worth living. And so if we can really connect with that empathy and connect with each other, even if we don't agree, a successful conversation comes when we follow those agreements, we connect and we get to have a broader perspective tomorrow. Yeah, um, so I just wanted to ask a little bit about, so for those of us that are engaging in these discussions, maybe not in the context of like something that's a little bit more formal, right? You're like going into it with someone that isn't necessarily, I guess, seeking out that conversation. Um, how do you kind of recommend people, especially those of us that like, you know, a lot of us coming from New York live in these very like liberal bubbles. Some people that live maybe in the Midwest or the South have kind of the opposite, right? So I guess for people that have kind of been in that atmosphere their whole lives, and I think a lot of times when we're talking to people, we don't intend to have this like persuasive effect. We don't intend to like force our views upon people, but I think just the way and the cultures that we've all at least kind of come up in has been like very, very like, you know, it's just kind of pushed that on us, whether it was consciously or, you know, not, um, whether it's like your news channels being so divided in like the type of news that they're providing um, or everything around us, I don't know, feeling like very politicized. Uh, how do you kind of recommend, especially I think young people go about like having those conversations and especially in just some, I guess, a more casual setting, like feeling comfortable enough to share those opinions in like a productive way. I mean, I remember when I was in middle school, I didn't even want to share my music opinions because I felt like I was going to get judged. You know, like there is a lot of that fear, especially when you're young, like your, your friends, like, Oh, have you heard this song? And you're like, Oh, of course. Like I never want to pretend like I haven't, but deep down, I know I haven't. I just wanted to be cool. And there's going to be that no matter what, even when you get older, that's always going to be part of our culture. But in terms of like a, how do I engage in this in a 
less intense, more informal way. That's kind of what you're asking, right? I would say read those conversational agreements and see which ones you can apply in your daily life. When you're interacting with people at school or online, because we do both basically interchangeably nowadays, are you actually being curious to hear what they are going to say? Or are you just kind of waiting for your chance to say what you want to say? And there is a value in sharing what we have to say, because that's how other people learn as well. But are we going into things actively trying to listen? Or are we going into things just trying to persuade or just trying to share or just trying to have the spotlight for a little bit? You know, we, all of those are natural things. It's not necessarily bad. But if we actively go out of our way to try to listen to people, I guarantee you, no matter where you are, even if you feel like you live in very liberal New York where there's nobody that you can has different opinions, every single person has different opinions. Every single person, there's no such thing as like a blue and a red state. I've lived in several states across the United States and everybody has, there's so much nuance to every opinion that if you can really get down to the, the nitty gritty with it, everybody has something that they can say that will expand your perspective. So just being actively going out of your way to listen, I would say that's the best way to engage in these conversations in a less formal way. Sorry if my answers are really long. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was just going to say, what are just from, you know, your experience doing this work for so long, or there's like personal or something you've seen with other people, like what are some of, I guess, your favorite stories regarding this um just like having these discussions just because I think like whenever I see them I there's this like I feel like there's a lot like a lot of TED talks on this there's also this I forgot the name of the channel but there's this series I think it's called like Middle Ground or something like that where two people I think it's Jubilee maybe I'm wrong I don't know if I'm correct about this don't quote me on this but um where they have two people from like opposing sides of on one issue kind of like they ask them different questions and they come in the middle to like a table and talk about them um, like in a very civil way. So I think whether it's like, you know, through personal experiences or just like absorbing it through something like a video, um, you can kind of just like sense how powerful these discussions are. So I just like love to hear a few anecdotes about that. For sure. Um, One I'll share that I read about that I didn't experience myself. And then I can share the one that I experienced myself. There was a story, I believe it was in Georgia, but I, I can't remember where, where there was a series of community living room conversations. And they did this over and over and over, especially spurred on by COVID, that it gave them an opportunity to connect with people when everything was so isolated. And they decided to do the community conversation guide, Guns and Responsibility, which like I said before, can be a very sensitive thing. And in the beginning of the conversation, the host sat, you know, they had a whole group down, they sat down and the host said, you know, this is gonna be a little bit of an intimate conversation. I wanna know before we start, who here has a gun? And a couple of hands went up and she said, who here has a gun on them right now? And a number of people pulled guns off of their hips, out of their holsters, and put them on the table in the middle of this conversation. And instantly, that conversation went from 
theoretical to very, very real. Now, not only are we talking about who might own guns in the world, we're talking about five or six handguns right in front of us, sitting on a table. And that image when I read about this experience was so striking to me because not only is it saying this is a real thing, but it's saying we are vulnerable enough on both sides as someone who owns a gun to take that gun out and place it on the table and instantly be seen as a more you know intimidating, scary figure. And on the other side, those who didn't have guns were willing to sit there and be instantly vulnerable to these people who have guns in front of them, people who they don't understand or who they might be afraid of. And so to be able to be that open and that honest with, the, with each other, that led to a profound conversation in that community. And I loved reading that experience because most people on either side of that gun argument have never sat across from someone who doesn't have a gun or someone who does have a gun with that gun on the table and been willing to have a conversation about how to own it, what the rights are, what should we should do, you know, with school shootings and all of that. So that's one experience. The next experience I'll share was is recently with the uh, Roe v. Wade decision, the Supreme Court, we actually, as a company, we had a little team conversation where we went through our abortion guide, which was the most viewed guide basically every month over the summer. And it was a very, I don't even know the right word to use, um, eye-opening, I guess, experience for me. Because as a young person and as a man and as somebody who lives only my own experience, I have such a limited perspective on so many things. And that conversation, I felt like, you know, like a kindergartner trying to talk about Shakespeare. Like I was so in out of my depth. I was just trying to grasp at anything to understand. And so to sit there and to be able to share a little bit, but mostly to listen to conversations of women who've lived decades of their life, you know, forming these opinions with their personal experiences and with the experiences of their loved ones and what have you. I was so deeply moved by that because that's not a conversation I'm able to have very often. You don't gather your friends on a Friday night and like, hey, let's talk about abortion, guys. Like it's it's a little bit scary to do that kind of thing. And one of the the women shared opinion talking about how she was, I wish I could remember the right phraseology, but she was like pro the right to have an abortion, but anti-abortion. And it was like a very nuanced opinion that I'd never heard where she like, she fell in such an interesting area. And here I am thinking, oh, I thought there were only two options. And so that was very formulative for me in terms of gaining experience far beyond my own so that I can come to understand a very complex issue like abortion. That is a beautiful place to end, I think. And it's very, your example was actually very uh, timely, Stuart, because a conversation, an online group that I'm part of that generally is very civil. Um, I saw a woman be attacked for expressing that view, uh, which I actually thought was a pretty common view. I think it actually is a pretty common view. Didn't think it was controversial to sort of say, absolutely, people should have rights. It, it may not be something that I myself would do. Uh, but it was fascinating that because things have become so polarized, I saw that view sort of get attacked as like, well, that's not enough. You know, that, that sort of 
you're for us or you're against us, right? And if it's not lockstep agreement, and that is obviously uh, not building a broad canopy <laughs> that we need to have these kinds of conversations and discourse. So thank you for the work that Living Room Conversations is doing. Sounds amazing to me. We have a youth council that we where we kind of took the summer a little bit off with it's harder to gather younger people over the summer, but we have a youth council and they've, they're getting all together and they definitely, if you guys ever want to do something with our youth council, I can get that communication. Yeah. Maybe over the holidays. Um, once people's college applications are done, um, you may have noticed we have all seniors uh, on our team. So they're, uh, they're juggling a lot, but yes, hopefully things post, um, you know, post late December will, uh, everyone will breathe a little bit easier. Um, thank you so much, Stuart. And thank you, podcasters. Really great conversation as usual. Uh, so have great nights. Uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.